Hey everybody, welcome to the MacGyver After Show. We're breaking down episode two of season one, Metal Saw. We're going to find out why it's always good to tell somebody you love them as soon as you can. Let's do it. You're tuning into the destination for TV superfan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin. Ooh, yes. The sweet sounds of the original MacGyver theme, bringing us back into the MacGyver After Show. Hey, everybody, welcome. We're going to be breaking down episode two of season one, Metal Saw. I'm one of your hosts. Actually, for this episode, I will be your only host, Frank Moran. You can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. My co-conspirator, my partner, my, my, my life mate in MacGyver things, Mike Kalinowski, he is working this evening, so he won't be able to join us, but he'll be back hopefully next week as we continue to breaking down all of MacGyver's episodes this season. So let's jump right into it. Oh, before we do that, though, I should say, like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, uh, subscribe to the YouTube chat, hop on the uh, YouTube channel, you can jump in there and subscribe as well, follow along with us so we can continue the conversation even after the show is over. So we'll uh, break down episode two of Metal Saw. We start off over in Korea where we see uh, Jack and MacGyver uh, fleeing away from some North Korean soldiers, making their way, they're about seven miles north of the, of the DMZ, the Demilitarized Zone, making their way. seems like they have some precious cargo. They have an asset with them. And they're being uh, under heavy fire from the North Korean soldiers as they're making their way there. And Jack is basically just criticizing our boy MacGyver, saying that his head's not in the game. He's not bringing his A game here, only because Nikki, if you remember from our pilot episode, uh, was the one that MacGyver was in love with. Thought that she had died. She found out that found out that nope, nope. She's not only not dead, but she's also working with this conspiracy uh, dark uh, organization on the other side, kind of make things happen, kind of trying to cull the herd, uh, so to speak, of uh, the population of the United States or pretty much the whole globe. So she escaped though from federal custody at the end of the pilot, and ever since then, McGovern's just been like, "Where is she at? I can't get my mind off of Nikki, and should be focusing more on what's happening immediately, like for example, North Korean soldiers shooting at you." Uh, the way, though, Matt MacGyver, always a man who likes to improvise, kind of using the things around him to try to escape stuff. He is making uh, some bombs using a two-liter bottle of soda bottles, a fertilizer, and uh, oh, um, uh, for, and gasoline, huffing gasoline right there out of the out of the uh, the tank of the of the car they're driving. So he's throwing away, he's throwing his way his two-liter bombs, blowing up everything. They uh, then pull a little Yui. Uh, they start backpedaling up towards the South Korean border. Uh, they're able to kind of plow through some uh, concrete stanchions there and stop right there as they get both sides kind of drawing down on them. They exit the vehicle, and they find out that they pop the trunk, and the asset that they have is indeed a, a person. It by, goes by the cyber handle of the Python, and he's responsible for a lot of cyber terrorism for both North and South Korea. In fact, as MacGyver says, he's the one responsible for trying to melt down their nuclear reactors. So the South Koreans take him into custody, the North Koreans back off, and MacGyver and Jack are able to exit, cross the border, and be safe and sound in South Korea. So that's the way we start off this episode. So nice little action-packed episode. You get to see MacGyver back in his element, kind of improvising, doing his thing. And uh, everything better safe at home. Uh, but once Matt gets back at home, though... Uh, the, the, here we have like the part that I'm not really enjoying about this series so far. He gets woken up by his roommate, uh, Bozer, who uh, is wearing a uh, military costume, kind of looks like a, a Korean soldier. He's wearing a mask. Uh, he's walking up, and MacGyver just sees that, doesn't realize it's Bozer underneath that mask, uh, tackles him down, 
and is about to lay a beating on him until Bozer says, hey, whoa, 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 it's me. Remember, you? I have this mask. This is the mask you said you were going to wear when you said you'd be in my movie. Uh, so far, I'm not enjoying the Bozer element. Uh, he's just in this enough to really be, I mean, you, that it makes you wonder, like, is there more to this guy? I don't understand. Uh, so far, what he's adding to this show, not that much, uh, other than being a potential romantic interest for Riley. I don't see what else he's bringing to the team here. It, well, only because the, the the way they've set this up is that he is, of course, uh, MacGyver's cover. He's alibi to, to make him think that he's just a regular everyday guy, that he doesn't work for a think tank, that he works for some IT consulting firm. Uh, but I don't understand the like we talked about last week with Mike and myself, why there is the need for MacGyver to even have a cover story. So, I mean, he doesn't like, seem like he's well known enough where he travels around in anything other than governmental missions that having a cover story is even necessary. So the reason for having Bozer there, I, I, I don't know. He's definitely a weak link for the show and could easily go. And it seems like with characters like this, or, or if you think about like Bradley Cooper's character back in Alias, who was uh, like Jennifer Gardner's uh, close friend in the series, and then but was also a reporter, didn't know anything about uh, her being involved in a government organization. And so I felt like that was always difficult to be able to uh, have him kind of pursuing or trying to learn about that government organization while she was de- uh, deliberately deceiving him as well. Uh, until finally they either said, well, either he's got to learn about this or he's got to not know about it. And they eventually decided to cross their paths. So maybe that's the direction they go with Bozer and MacGyver, uh, which we talked a little bit about before uh, last week. So I feel like when sweeps come along, or probably not not uh, not November sweeps, but maybe eh, maybe May sweeps, we get a whole season of this kind of building up where I think slowly Bozer's going to start suspecting some things. And then maybe by the end, the danger comes home to MacGyver and somebody's following him home, getting attack him in his home, and they kidnap Bozer. And finally, Bozer finds out that, whoa, 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 Mac is not just uh, some kind of IT guy. He's actually working at a think tank, and he works for the military and the government, and he does all these cool, amazing things. And maybe, I don't know how he would get involved on missions or anything like that, but I guess he would at least be knowledge. He would know what MacGyver really does for a living. So there would, I, at that point, what's the need for a cover story at that point? You might, <laughs> oh, what's even needed for that character? I have no idea. But as I said, uh, right now, other than just being MacGyver's roommate and cover story, he is also serving as a potential love interest for Riley Davis as well. She's the alternative tech girl that they found and they sprung her out of prison to help out with her missions because they thought Nikki was dead. And even though Nikki is still alive, she's a bad guy now. So they still need Riley's help because she's pretty much just as good as Nikki. Uh, but has, you know, kind of, uh, she did a questionable thing at one time for what she thought was the greater good, at least. But because of that, she spent some time in prison. And now that she's working out with the Phoenix Foundation, she still is on parole. So she still has to report to a parole officer. So she heads over to the Division of Adult Parole Operations. And what she needs Bozer for is to pretend to be her boyfriend, to be able to put in a good word for with her for her parole officer to help the cover story. Because as the parole officer, Mr. Green asks, have you traveled more than 25 miles outside of Los Angeles? Uh, she says no. But, of course, the cutaways say, oh, yes, she has. She's been to San Francisco last episode. She's been to a few other countries as well in the course of helping out uh, MacGyver and J- Jack Dalton and the Phoenix Foundation. So she's already, in that respect, already blown her parole. Then Mr. Green asks, have you touched the computer? She says no. Of course, we all know that's not true because she's helped out already just in uh, the pilot episode and any other missions between then and now. 
with, uh, with heavily involved in computers. So again, another violation of probation. And then lastly, Mr. Green asks, have you, are you drinking? And she says, no, we cut away and we know they've been having some celebratory cocktails after the successful end of a mission. So basically three for three, she has violated parole and is lying to her parole officer about it. But understandably so, I mean, she's doing really cool, exciting work. Uh, and so, I think that is ultimately serving the greater good. So even though she's lying to her parole officer, what she's doing is helping a lot more people than her not being involved and in, in just staying on, being just like a, a nice, honest citizen. Uh, now, uh, Bozer, his part with the parole officer, he did a great job convincing them that they're in a really caring relationship. And as Mr. Green says, he really approves of this relationship because people in a really good, healthy relationship they're more willing to fight to stay straight because they have something worth losing. So if they have that, they're going to be less motivated to kind of do something illegal and kind of slide back into their old ways. Now, Bozer talks to Riley afterwards and says, hey, you know, I know I did a great job pretending you'd be your boyfriend, and I feel like there's a connection between us. So, you know, what we should do, we should really just go out. You should give me your digits, and we should go out on a real date. So Riley grabs her cell phone and uh, texts him one digit of her phone number. And the deal that she strikes with Bozer is that every single week that he successfully pretends to be her boyfriend, she will t- give him one more number in her phone number. So all it's going to take is another eight more weeks, and he's going to have her full phone number there. And then there you go. That's when the, the hardcore romantic press starts at that point. Uh, so let's see. I mean, I guess we'll see if uh, Bozer's and Riley's relationship continues to blossom or if we care enough about it. I mean, I guess that's one way to get him sucked into MacGyver's real job is have them get so involved that when things go wrong for Riley, he gets really personally invested in wanting to step in and save her and kind of learn more about what MacGyver really does for a living. Uh, so while they're all doing that, uh, Jack is having a, 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 a big meeting there with uh, Patricia Thornton, the uh, the head of the Phoenix Foundation, and they're just talking about MacGyver. How's he doing? Is he doing okay? Is this Nikki thing really bothering him? And Jack is saying, hey, it's all right. I mean, uh, MacGyver's not like every other person. He's able to kind of compartmentalize everything. Uh, because, and we do find out a little information that Mac's mom died when he was five and that his dad abandoned him when he was 12. So uh, Patricia knows this as well and just is a little, still a little concerned about MacGyver, but uh, Jack says, no way. Don't worry. Uh, Mac's going to be just fine. And we, of course, hard cut right there to MacGyver breaking into Nikki's apartment and kind of just snooping around. And we find out that ever since uh, Nikki got uh, sprung herself from federal custody, he's been pretty much going there every single day looking around for clues. Jack finds him there, and they have a little uh, heart-to-heart there. And Jack apologizes for what he said to him in Korea about not bringing his A game and says, hey, you got to let this go with Nikki. And... MacGyver's saying it's not just me missing Nikki or trying to capture something back, but he believes that there's something that nobody's been able to find in Nikki's apartment that's going to give them the clue and a lead to what Nikki is currently doing or where her whereabouts might be at this time. So he is, I mean, as much as he's saying he's not there to uh, change her or save her, he's there to bring her to justice. It's easy to say that now, but who knows if he's actually just still even lying to himself. Uh now we head back over to the Phoenix Foundation, and Riley pulls up a story. We find out that an American journalist is being held in Venezuela. Uh, she's been arrested by the authorities there. 
And they're wondering, well, you know, what's the big deal about this story? Jack and Mac are like, okay, I mean, that's it's terrible, but I mean, nothing unusual to be happening. And find out that this uh, this reporter is not really a reporter, but she is a spy. And she's not just any spy. Uh, she, her name is Sarah, and she actually uh, is really close to Jack. Jack recognizes her as soon as they bring up the photo, identifying who she is. And find out that Jack and Sarah, they went to the farm together, which is basically like the uh, the, uh, the FBI's, their, um, their, their training area, FBI and CIA. So they went there, and so they that's where they first developed their friendship. And we find out that Sarah was actually uh, in Venezuela there to gather intel on the Barrios network. And she had all the, uh, the, uh, all the info according to her last communication, but she was taken uh, hostage or taken and captured before she could deliver that intel. So uh, because of that, because the CIA couldn't actually acknowledge what she was doing, the CIA disavowed her. And so basically the Phoenix Foundation is her only option, her last best chance to be able to be extracted and also get the intel and be able to keep an eye on the Barrios operation. So that's what the deal is. They're going to head back and uh, spring Sarah. So we cut to Jack. Uh, Jack and Mac uh, and Riley, they're all flying on a small jet to Venezuela. And Jack is just reminiscing about uh, her and Sarah on one of their, uh, uh, one of their last missions that they did in uh, Belarus. And basically Sarah did a lot to make sure that Jack got home. And Jack has always been appreciative to Sarah for that moment because it allowed him to get back in states to say goodbye to his dad before he passed away. So uh, saving Sarah, extracting her from the situation that he is, she is in is the least that he can do. He feels like he owes her. And not to mention that he still he has feelings with her. Uh, she, he was definitely in love with her. And he basically, you know, he always thought that she was somebody that was always going to be around. And so... Uh, figure like, hey, whenever the time comes right and I'm ready to settle down, she's always just going to be there. I don't have to worry about that. I know she'll be waiting for me. Uh, and he's, as the episode goes on, Jack starts to question if that was the correct decision that he made in return in regards to his relationship with Sarah. Uh, now, of course, when they land in Venezuela, they need to be able to figure out what the heck's going on. So they need somebody that has the lay of the land. And Jack knows just who to talk to. Uh, they head over to a bar uh, where the bartender lays a little beating there on Jack. Said he's not welcome back in there because he shot uh, Jack shot Marcos, the owner of this bar, five times. And uh, but Jack is trying to explain, hey, we don't really want to sit here and have a drink, but we do want to talk to one of the people that's in your bar. We want to talk to Julio because he thinks we think he has some information for us. Marcos asks Julio, do you want to talk to Jack? Julio says, no, not really. And so Marcos is about to throw him out when MacGyver grabs a grabs a glass, slides it across the bar, knocks, oh, breaks open some uh, alcoholic bottles, killing, containing some alcohol, grabs a guy's uh, cigar uh, real quick, and lights the alcohol on fire. Causes a distraction, and they start a little bar fight. And they're pretty much able to kind of lay a beat down uh, MacGyver and Jack on everybody. And Julio sees this kind of turning the wrong way, where Jack and Mac are getting the top hand. So he says, "I'm going to just bolt out of here." Jack and Mac uh, pursue him on foot. And uh, before he can make it too far, he gets hit by a car, which is driven by Riley. Uh, of course, Riley says, hey, you told me to stay in the car. Uh, you know, I, I listened to you. I, I honored my end of the deal. But they were able to knock out Julio, so they were able to get that information from him about where Sarah may possibly be held. And we find out that, thankfully, we just cut immediately to that location that Julio's told him. And Julio's intel is correct. So we don't waste any time with that. We just get right to the meat of it. Uh, we find out there's some compound. They're looking around. They realize there's a lot of surveillance by a lot of different cameras. It's going to be challenging getting in there. 
but MacGyver and Jack have an idea. Like they <clears throat> uh, Mac thinks if they hi- head into the elevator shaft that's in the morgue, they'll be able to get in there. But Jack says, oh, well, it's not going to be that easy because the first floor uh, in the morgue has been b- covered up with steel plating and stuff uh, and blocking the elevator shaft. So it's not going to be as easy as you think to get in there. Uh, so, but what they do is like Mac says, hey, I got an idea. I think we can still make this work. So they get in and uh, Mac, using a car battery, some other items around it, makes it a little arc welder, is able to knock off a couple of bolts, securing that metal door, blocking the elevator shaft. Uh, they pop that off. They open up the elevator shaft. Max says, all right, I'm going to go lower myself down. I'm going to find Sarah. You stay here. Just watch my back. Mac lowers himself down. Riley's back at the car outside the compound, kind of watching everything over the camera. She's hacked into the security feed, so she's able to see everything. And she realizes between Mac and Sarah, there's a bunch of guards and a bunch of cameras. And sure, Sarah, um, Riley can turn off some of those cameras as Mac makes his way over there. But not only is he going to blind the guards to Mac's location, but it's also going to blind Mac to the location of the guards in relation to him as well. So it's basically kind of a lose-lose situation. Mac has another idea, though. He grabs two of the cameras, <clears throat> and he takes the lenses. And what he's able to cobble together is basically some sort of like uh, like, a, like goggles that are going to allow him to see uh, in low light, pretty much like infrared goggles. So he kind of fashions those his own version of that. And he asks Raleigh just to cut off the lights. And he'll still be able to see. He'll be able to see where the guards are at and kind of navigate around them and get over to where Sarah's being held. So Riley pulls the lights. The, gla- the goggles work perfectly that MacGyver built. He's able to kind of uh, knock out one guard, grab the flashlight, make his way over to where Sarah's being held, opens the door. Sarah kind of jumps out from the darkness, puts him in a chokehold, is ready just to take him out. Uh, Jack- MacGyver's basically uh, you know, get- able to get enough air to kind of gasp out that, like, oh, I'm here with Jack, I'm here with Jack. Sarah kind of lets him go and says, all right, I'm with you, let's get out of here. They start making their way out. And Riley realizes that, hey, they found another generator. I can see from the camera activity outside the compound that they're going to return on the generator. they got to back up. The lights are going to come on at any moment. Uh, but sure enough, pretty much right after she says that, lights pop on. And uh, MacGyver's kind of stunned for a moment because of all the, the, big, the light coming in through his infrared goggles. Takes those off. And uh, basically then it's just a hot pursuit. They're running through the compound trying to get out of there while the gunmen are trying to chase them down. Uh, they're doing they're doing pretty well. They're almost they've almost made it out, but they're kind of pinned down by some of the gunmen there shooting away, and they think they're pretty much like this is it. I think this is as far as we can get. When Jack comes smashing through the side of the building there in his car, uh, lays down some cover fire and is able to extract them there from the building. So nice little cool scene. Uh, and what's cool is that uh, Amy Acker plays Sarah, uh, good old uh, uh, Jack Dalton's long lost former partner or former co-worker lost love uh, and Amy Acker is just, just great in this type of role where she gets to be smart but also kick some butt as well so uh, always excellent to see Amy Acker on a show and again uh, you know, she's in person of interest so back still in the CBS family again for another another episode uh, so now we find out though that uh, as they're on the road heading back to where Sarah was holed up, and that's where the intel is being held—the ledger that contains all the information on the Barrios network. Uh, you know, Jack is basically saying that you know what, I'm not over, I'm not over Sarah. Uh, almost to the point where he's getting so distracted talking to her, he almost runs off into a, a oncoming traffic. Uh, they get to the place where Sarah's uh, been held up, uh, holding up there in Venezuela. Sarah goes in to go check things out. 
you know, and Jake confides, Jack confides to Mac that, yeah, I think you're right. I think I, you know, I waited too long. I think I blew my chance. I, I can't let her slip away. Can I got to really, when I'm in the moment, I have a free moment here. We're not trying to, you know, just escape with our lives and get this Intel back to the States. Uh, I've got to tell her as soon as possible how I feel about her and see if we can actually kind of uh, recapture those relationships that I took for granted, basically. Uh, then we, uh, Sarah indicates like, hold on, something's not right with my place. They go into Sarah's place and we find out it's been tossed. Uh, they look around and they find a friend of hers, Luis, uh, has been, uh, beaten to get any information. He didn't know anything. So he ended up dying under the interrogation. Uh, and the wounds are fresh. He was probably killed within the last 24 hours. Uh, Sarah is angry goes back into the living room, steps up on a chair, finds uh, hidden up above on uh, above a lip of a railing or um, cornering there, paneling. There is the, uh, the flash drive that holds a ledger, gives it to Mac and says, all right, you guys head back to the States. I'm staying here. I'm going to get Barrios. Uh, the reason for that is if they wanted to get approval through proper channels, that it would take so long that by the time they got back down there, Barrios would be uh, off to another country, just setting up operations again it'd be that much harder to find him. They'd be basically starting from zero all over again. And she doesn't want to give Barrios that chance. I mean, he's already heard a friend that he's, that, that he cares about. He's already just a really awful person. If they're going to get him, they got to get him now before he leaves the country. So Sarah's going to stay and Jack, uh, you know, caring for Sarah, still, still in love with Sarah. Also just wanted to see the suit of the end says, you know what? I'm going to stay with her too. Mac and Riley, they agree as well. So it's for them up against the Barrios. So part of that planned way to get there is that they still need to make sure that the intel gets to uh, the states and to the Phoenix Foundation. So Riley heads over to a cyber cafe, uh, rents a little, uh, rents a computer, and starts old school like dial dial up way, sending the information to the Phoenix Foundation. Uh, and now over at the Barrios compound, uh, we see that it's really secure. I'm trying to figure out the best way to be able to kind of even the odds a little bit. Everybody's got ammo. Everybody's got guns. They also see trucks holding all this ammo. And Matt kind of goes down for a little bit and comes up with an idea to basically, like if you're going to fry ants as a kid, you're going to use magnifying glasses to kind of magnify the the light of the sun, really concentrate the light there and be able to heat up things to uh, very quickly. So the idea is he's going to use some of the mirrors from some automobiles, focus the light of the sun and be able to start heating up the ammo that's hidden in these trucks. Hopefully start a reaction, starts uh, uh, setting off the ammo. Guards are distracted by their own ammo going off, that they're kind of able to even the odds a little bit and be able to make their way into the compound and get Barrios. And Sarah has never worked with Mac, so uh, is really impressed when she sees what Mac is able to do. I was like, man, where'd you get this guy? And uh, so they, they the plan works, of course. We get... Uh, the, uh, the 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 heat of the sun lighting up the ammo all starts going off. They're making their way in to get Barrios, but Barrios starts taking off right outside of the the camp on a motorcycle, and so they're pursuing him as he's making his way to the airport. They got to stop him before he gets to an airport and makes his way out of the country. While that's happening, though, uh, Riley's just kind of cold kicking it there in the cyber cafe, and all of a sudden gunmen come in uh, and they start shooting up at the place, and they're after Riley. And they know that she's there. Somebody's kind of ratted her out. And she thought she was being really secure about it. And she's like, oh, man, what am I going to do now? There's nobody else. They've killed everybody else in a separate cafe. It's just me and them. Uh, she's about to give up, possibly get killed. And then good old Patricia Thornton, she comes in, knocks out those gunmen, and extracts Riley, saying, 
that uh, Barrios has got a lot of people that are willing to just uh, squeal on anything. A lot of informants, people that are rat out anybody just to get some money. So uh, even though Riley may have been as safe as possible, somebody must have saw her and leaked that to uh, Barrios. So that's how he was able to get the gunman to go chase after her. So now uh, while Patricia extracts Riley, we still have uh, Jack, Mac, and Sarah chasing after Barrios on his motorcycle. And this is kind of like one of the cheesier parts of the episode because there's a one point where they're kind of running parallel uh, to Barrios as he's kind of racing down the road uh, while they're in a Jeep. And they kind of pull up in front of the road or in front of them, but they do so right in front of a tree stump that's falling down in the middle of the road that's conveniently propped up on another tree stump. that, And, and you could just see the second that they pulled in front of it, it looked like a ramp. And that's, of course, what it is. Barrios just uses that little tree stump as a ramp and rides his motorcycle up and jumps over the Jeep. One of the cheesiest staged moments of that episode. I was watching it like, oh, seriously, guys? I mean, I knew exactly what was going to happen the second I saw that kind of uh, poorly staged uh, tree stump ramp. Uh, it was very cheesy. But Barrios jumps over the Jeep, continues on his pursuit. McGovern has any ideas like, you know, it's much easier to stop a motorcycle than it is a regular car because you only have two wheels to worry about. And if you're in a military vehicle, uh, you've got a lot of netting on there, and you've also got maybe some wrenches. So if you tie up those wrenches along in the netting there, you can throw the netting out, get it caught up in one of the wheels of the bicycle, the motorcycle, and it could end up uh, halting it, and then you, you uh, stall that motorcycle. Mac does that. He throws that at the front wheel. It flips over the motorcycle. Barrios is down. Sarah just wants to kill him. But conveniently enough, Patricia Thornton shows up right there as well and says, tell, tell Sarah to stand down. Jack kind of pulls her aside, and uh, Patricia's able to take Barrios into custody. So kind of talks her uh, down from doing something she may end up regretting. So we're back in the States. Barrios is in custody. Uh, Patricia is basically saying, hey, uh, what happened here? What, what went on? You guys are supposed to just get the intel and get Sarah and get the heck out of there. Why did you go after Barrios? And... They basically do their I am Spartacus moment there where everybody steps up and says it was their idea to stay there and get Barrio. So nobody wants to let anybody else take the fall. And Patricia says, well, uh, you know, on the record, there is going to be a debrief. We're going to figure out what happened. And and, uh, because, you know, the the government doesn't uh, look kindly upon people kind of going off the reservation, doing their own thing without getting uh, sanctioned to do so. But off the record, she says that she would have done the same thing. So, so far, I'm liking Patricia Thornton. I really like her. She is, of course, like the head of the Phoenix Foundation, but she's not. uh, She will get in the field. She will mess it up as well. As we saw in the pilot episode, she was kind of she was McGavers point person uh, when they were trying to find uh, extract a biologic weapon at the beginning of that episode. So she's she's cool being back uh, back in Los Angeles at the Phoenix Foundation, but she's also cool in the field. And uh, since she was one of the top spies there in that department, one of the best government covert operatives. Uh, she knows uh, what Jack and Mac go through in the field. So I feel like I'm really liking her character. I'm looking forward to seeing her being developed more. And the fact that she can both be in the field and in the office and understand both sides, that's uh, some really cool things with her character that you can kind of explore. So while everything seems to be good, uh, they they touch base with Sarah again there at the Phoenix Foundation. Uh, Jack wants to tell her how he feels, but before he can even say a word, all of a sudden who comes around the corner Sarah's fiance. Sarah hugs this guy, uh, introduces him like, oh my gosh, this is my fiance. And he has a very similar look to Jack. His name's Jeff, 
but it looks very similar to Jack. So you can kind of see that Sarah definitely has a type. And it's just to rub salt in Jack's wounds. Like, and just to know that if I had just said, you know, told her how I felt right away and, and really kind of locked down this relationship, I could be with her right now. Instead, she moved on and she found somebody that looks pretty much just like me. It may not be a spy, but it looks pretty much just like me. And uh, now I have to just, you know, kick myself for that. Sarah gives Jack a little hug goodbye, says, I wanted to tell you, but I didn't get a chance. I was trying to, couldn't do it. Uh, and so they leave. Her and uh, Jack is very, uh, Jeff is very appreciative to Jack and bring, getting Sarah back to him. And Sarah and Jeff leave. And uh, this right here is, I thought, one of the best moments that I've seen so far in the series. Of course, it's only two episodes in, but uh, George Eads from CSI. I always enjoyed him as Nick Stoll on CSI. I uh, was always a fan of that character and what he did with that role. Uh, this one scene here, after Sarah leaves with her fiance, there is such a look of anguish and sadness. And maybe I should just say something and uh, that goes through George Eads' face. Like he just like knows I, I, this woman that I love more than anything is walking out of my life right now. Maybe I have one last chance to try to stop this and, and get her and have her back in my life. And you can see him trying to wrestle up the words to be able to say something to her. And it's just agonizing over it. And ultimately he just waits too long or he decides like, no, I can't do it. Uh, and he lets her go. But just the look of anguish on his face and sadness, so great just to know how much he loved her and how sad he is that he has, didn't have the, he didn't take advantage of that love he had for her sooner in his life or you know uh, things didn't turn out differently and he couldn't have her right now. Georgie nailed it in the scene. I was really impressed by it. Such a small scene, but really said a lot about that character. Uh, and just even like, just, I mean, in genuine, he's, he's moved to tears by Sarah walking out of his life. That's how much she meant to him. So, uh, he's very sad, uh, about this and, um, uh, just, they have this little moment, he and Mac saying, oh man, I, I don't know what I did. Um, uh, and they kind of just leave it there. Like I should have, I should have did something. I guess I may, maybe I'm terrible. We're both terrible at women. What are we going to do? But at least they have each other. Uh, then of course we cut over to, uh, Mac back in Nikki's apartment. Uh, Mac is kind of monologizing here, uh, both to himself and the audience kind of saying, Hey, I'm not, I'm not, you know, like a psycho about this. I, I'm not just trying to hold on to Kelly or uh, hold on to Nikki, trying to find her, uh, save her. I, I know that there's something in this room that's going to lead me to where she is. And he's scanning the room. And as we're seeing that is happening, that, uh, um, as we see that, we see him looking down at one of the electrical outlets and there's a fly goes in and out of one of the electrical outlets and that catches Mac's eye. And he goes in and he starts unscrewing that, well, first checks to make sure that there's no current going through that electrical outlet. And when there's not, he unscrews it, pops off and starts looking inside what's hidden behind that outlet. Uh, so from we see him actually looking inside, we're inside the wall kind of looking at as Mac is looking in. When we see that, we cut over back to um, uh, Max and Bozer's apartment or house. And Bozer's uh, prepping some hamburgers and kind of telling Riley, like, hey, this is, you know, what I'm, I am going to make something amazing hamburgers for you. And uh, this I'm making, it's not going to just be a hamburger. It's going to be edible art. So get ready to have your taste, blood, taste buds blown away. Uh, while he's uh, kind of schmoozing with Riley, trying to woo her over with his cooking skills, 
we go outside the house and we see over on the little basketball court, Mac and Jack are playing there. And uh, uh, Riley comes out and says, hey, you know, guys, we got to hurry up and get back inside because Bozer's got, he says, what is a uh, culinary taste bud explosion about to happen? So they're about to wrap up their game. And as Riley walks away, they both kind of think about, well, well, you know what? Uh, uh, as Max says to Jack, um, Riley's the closest thing that they can get to a, to a stable relationship with a woman. And uh, Jack cannot disagree with that. Uh, so they finish up their basketball game. They only have one point left to play. And we go back into a little narration there from MacGyver saying that uh, uh, Mac's grandfather would take him to basketball games, uh, but he would make them leave before the game was over because he wanted to teach uh, MacGyver a lesson, which he often did throughout his life. He had like life lessons that he wanted to impart to MacGyver. And this one was that it, uh, it doesn't matter who wins. Uh, it's just important that you're part of the game. And... MacGyver, though, says, you know what? I don't really buy into that life lesson. Me, I always want to win. And we cut back to Nikki's apartment as he's fishing through there in the electrical outlet in the hole in the wall. And he pulls out a passport. And he opens up the passport. And he sees it's for Nikki, uh, who's using an alias on this passport. Uh, The alias is Alice Hunter. And that brings us to the end of the episode. So, ooh, pretty cool. Uh, Overall, uh... I mean, there was that one moment there with uh, George Eads, and I do like the relationship that's really developing between uh, Jack and MacGyver. Really, uh, I mean, you really see that there's, uh, they are, you know, for lack of a better word, they are brothers. They're extremely close, and I like the, uh, close, and I like the bond. They're able to uh, tell each other, you know, tell each other everything. Uh, speak, uh, you know, uh, not beat around the bush. Speak bluntly and directly. Let them know what they think about the other person. You know, be a little harsh at times if necessary to kind of get their point across. But there's that solid foundation and connection between the two of them that really makes it that, that right there is, I feel like, the heart of the show, that dynamic right there. And so far, uh, George Eads, I think, has, you know, uh, been nailing it. Uh, I've, I've already raved way too much about that one scene right there. But uh, we talked, Mike and I did last week, about man, may, maybe uh, MacGyver should be a little older and it should have been George Eads doing it. And it seems like that that made me think, like, wow, I wish he was the lead of the show uh, and the show centered more around him. Uh, no no slight there uh, to our boy, young Austin Till, but it's just like George Eads has been, he's bringing uh, just a little bit more to this role. We're curious to see how it changes, though. I mean, as any with any new series, as the season goes on, hopefully they're afforded two, three, more than multiple seasons, and you get a chance to really sink into the characters. You get some long-term story arcs and development happening with them. Uh, and then also you just get, you know, you, you get more involved. You get used to that character. You get underneath that character's skin more. You're able to bring out other nuances of that character. And maybe that's going to be the same thing we'll see with MacGyver's character. We'll see uh, our young actor selling more into the skin of MacGyver, pulling out some uh, some really cool beats and moments from that character as well. So uh, that, uh, I guess where that's bringing us towards the end of this episode, but I guess we have a moment that I can make a few, maybe a prediction or two. Why not? We'll make a prediction. My AfterBuzz TV prediction. And now, your AfterBuzz TV predictions. I could be, I could do the total cap out and just say, like, well, you know what? I think MacGyver's going to make some really cool things next episode. Uh, which, actually, the one thing that I, the one, my one criticism with the show, and we touched about it last week, was the use of the Chiron as MacGyver's kind of assembling these things. I'm, I'm, I'm missing getting more inside the head of MacGyver and finding out a little bit more just 
like why how he's assembling this stuff or why this makes a great a great way to approach assembling a uh, alternative method to melt the bolts off of a steel plate guarding an elevator shaft uh, or using fertilizer and uh, fuel in two liter bottles to create explosion uh, explosive devices. I wish I could hear MacGyver narrate a little bit more. Uh, really get me into why he's doing this. I'm missing that part of the show. So that uh, while I joke that he's going to be making some really cool things, and I'm sure he will next week, I just I wish the show would be a little bit better about uh, MacGyver's interior monologue. Uh, not only how he's doing it, but why he's doing it too. Why? What, what is this uh, this this homeschooled uh, or homegrown technique of creating something uh, to be an alternative to a, a already existing device? How you can fashion together your own arc welder using a car battery? Uh, just learn a little bit more about the you know, like the the process behind putting these things together. I hoping that the show will get more in that direction. Uh, but in terms of a prediction, I, I feel like. Um, I feel like Nikki right now is going to be from the next few episodes is going to be just something that they're going to, I, th- I think we're going to be seeing her kind of like at the end of every episode, uh, just as like a little stinger. Uh, we're going to get a little bits and drabbles that her for, I'm going to guess until November. So all through October. So we get the rest of this month sometime in November. I think we're going to see Nikki again and kind of start setting up this organization that she works for. But until then, we're just going to be using like the, the beginnings and the ends of every episode just to give us little uh, teases and uh, little bits of info about where Nikki's heading uh, to who she's involved with getting a little bit bigger idea of this organization. And then finally in November, We'll start seeing Nikki back on the canvas, I think, for a full episode, get a little bit more about the organization that she's working for and kind of see that perhaps some of MacGyver's got an opposite number uh, or at least uh, has an uh, organization that's running counter uh, uh, counterintuitive or is in opposition to what the Phoenix Foundation wants to do. So that's my prediction for this. Uh, and that's going to bring us to the end of this MacGyver After Show. So thank you so much for joining me as I rambled on. For uh, you know, for forty-five minutes or so about this latest episode of MacGyver. Uh, as always, you can like us on Facebook, give us those five stars on iTunes, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, also, hop on the chat. Uh, we'll have that back once the mic gets back in the studio. I'll be able to pull up the chat, kind of hear what you th- folks had to think about MacGyver, both as a series and, and any of the bits about the individual episodes as well. In the meantime, if you'd like to continue the conversation even after this episode. Even after this show is over, you can follow me on Twitter at HappyGoJackie. Love to hear your thoughts. Always love bouncing uh, bouncing around and, and talking back and forth with the fans on Twitter. So until then, folks, I will see you next Sunday, hopefully with Mike Kalinowski sitting right here across from me. Uh, but I'll be back here next Sunday night, 11 p.m. Pacific time, to break down the next episode of MacGyver. Until then, I'll see you next time here on AfterBuzz TV. From executive producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other after shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.